Hi everybody and welcome to a very special edition of Ubuntu Vista. I am Theo and I'm here with climate communicator Katan. Katan, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm very well. Um, how is sunny Oslo? Uh, it's. I haven't seen the sun in uh, about three or four weeks, I think. And I don't mean that as a joke. Like, I actually haven't seen the actual star at the center of our solar system. It's it's just been kind of cloudy. Uh, uh-huh. It snowed for a bit. I slipped around and nearly died. Um, and now it's just rainy. So, it is yeah, it's good. It's co- completely alien to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but as you can kind of imagine, we're having a bit of a different time in Australia, which is the reason that uh, we're having a little chat today. Uh, of course, we've had um, some absolutely... Uh, tragic and, and hard events in us in Australia um, still on, ongoing um, as of I guess Friday night when we're when we're recording this um, uh, we've had bushfires tear through uh, Queensland New South Wales um, uh, Western Australia they believe that you know uh, Victoria will start burning soon uh, we've got so that's about a million hectares of, of bushfire. Um, we've had four people, unfortunately, uh, pass away in, in the events. Uh, it's not good at all, I think it's safe to safe to say. Um, but it's also safe to say, I guess, that this has kicked off um, an absolutely uh, ludicrous uh, amount of uh, takes, garbage, uh, <laughs> ridiculous talk, just the the worst kind of uh, reflexes of the Australian uh, politics and media apparatus. Is that probably summing it up okay, do you think? <laughs> yeah, it's it's perfect. I mean, uh, so um, it's, a tr- it's a tricky one because there's two different things happening, right? There's the actual uh, fact that a bushfire happened, uh, a fire burnt, and then there's the changes in the characteristics of it right so uh you've got more of them happening um as individual sort of bushfires you have a, a higher area um and you also have it earlier in the year so there's um mm-hmm. spatial and temporal stuff right like it's uh th- those those two factors are changing uh so what that means is that there's not really a good language for talking about the way things change over time and space as opposed to whether things happen or not yeah, uh, and this yeah. is really something that I I was trying to I was going to try and think of how to slip this in, but it's something we've talked about previously a lot on yeah. the show. Where it seems it seems like the media and especially the conservative um, media has absolutely no way at the moment to deal with the concept that sometimes a number is larger than another number, <laughs> right? Like yeah. it's it's either it's either it is or it isn't. Yeah, ma- magnitude is an unpleasant thing to talk about for a lot of people who um, kind of th- their brand is simplicity. Uh, mm. And uh, I-, I don't think it's impossible. I think that it's, uh, I-, I don't think that it's like an effortful thing to talk about these events in the context of changing um, magnitudes. Like you see a few media outlets do it particularly well. I think The Guardian does a, does a pretty good job of this. Um, the ABC does a sort of okayish job, but they're but they're extremely guarded about everything that they say. Um, uh-huh. So that you know they're kind of doing it with with their hands tied behind their backs. Um, so it's not impossible, but but what happens is um, uh, people trying to get out a simple message um, want to frame stuff as a binary um, on and off, uh, and so you have that with. 
um, causality around a complex event. So a bushfire is caused by many things. Um, one of those things is the climatic conditions. Um, and those conditions are changing because of human activity. Um, so for a few decades, we've been releasing greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. That has changed stuff. And as a consequence, Australia has an earlier bushfire season and it's more intense. Um, that's not disputed, right? Like that's a very sort of um, well-confirmed uh, sequence of causes and yeah, you can absolutely. trace it all the way right down to bushfires, right? It's not like, yeah. oh, okay, we know that the conditions have changed, changed, so let's make an assumption between the change conditions and the occurrence of bushfires. There are scientific papers that actually examine specifically the bushfires and specifically the link to human-caused climate change. Um, and then you can use the science to basically say, well, there's an extremely high probability um, that this particular bushfire um, wouldn't have happened had humanity not burnt fossil fuels for four decades or something yeah, like absolutely. that, you know, like that's absolutely. just an example. And I mean, we've, we've been, I think, talking about that concept in broad strokes for, you know, a hundred years or more yeah. now, but in like real specificity since the eighties, um, pro probably earlier, but, it, but specifically, you know, by, by, um, uh, you know, the, even studies fostered within, um, uh, fossil fuel companies, right? Mm. BP and Shell, and 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 that sort of that sort of thing. And I, I understand that all of our listeners are just like, yep, no, I, I know, I know, kind of thing. <laughs> but you're preaching to the preaching to the converted. But it is important yeah. to, I guess, repeat this um, because that's certainly not what we're hearing at at the moment. And and you know, especially, I think you did a good good rundown of of the media, like in general, mm. their approach there. Um, the Guardian is uh, publishing a lot of stuff. Um, Especially from, um, not not just climate climate change stuff because I mean they've been talk, talking about uh, things that the climate climate scientists have been saying for a very long time now, mm. but from um, firefighters and uh, you know ex firefighters and a lot of this stuff. So um, there's a coalition of former fire chiefs that are talking to to the government that have uh, they claim that they are being ignored um, throughout mm. uh, and that politics is is the reason um you know and and of course they are just you know saying the things that that science has has said as well where we are seeing bushfires they're more deadly uh the bushfire season is longer it starts earlier and of course that impacts um that impacts the ability to uh create um burn backs and that sort of thing yeah so that's a really interesting I, i've sort of been reading those articles about the the group of fire chiefs who just sort of said look you know we've been completely ignored on this and we've been t trying to warn about this for ages um australia needs to reduce its emissions um because that is a behavior that is contributing to the worsening of this problem uh, and also it needs to lead the world in in change right like it's not just enough for australia to reduce its domestic emissions and it's not even enough to, to stop exporting fossil fuels. It actually needs to say to other countries, look how well we're doing and how much benefit you can draw from decarbonizing um, and just become like this global leader and then influence the world that way. Um, and that would, that would hypothetically have a big impact on emissions, which would then definitely have a big impact on the Earth's climate system. Yeah, so, which is, I think, a, yeah. a different approach than we are used to taking in a yeah. capitalist society where we, we're used to being able to offload that trouble to somebody else. But yeah. here, the, the concept that we can't, that the coal burnt here versus the coal burnt when, when we sell our low-grade coal to 
to China or, or wherever it may go yeah. ends up as the same CO2 in the atmosphere either way. And it's a very difficult concept for, I think, a lot of um, yeah. the uh, way that we have um, our, our exports and our um, um, kind of responsibility around this is structured, is not, not structured to handle this. So, so like, that's, uh, as you mentioned before, like, I'm sure a lot, a lot of your listeners agree, but, like, um, that 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 to, to say that is relatively straightforward right and and mm-hmm. that it comes from those fire chiefs is like they're a, they're a trusted source like that implicitly um they're de- they're not political um but it was odd to see like so there were a few greens MPs and senators who who said pretty much the same thing but they but they cast it in very strong um terms of like moral guilt right so um like uh senator um jordan Steele um said that the coalition government is no better than arsonists um which you know like that's that's uh, that's pretty strong language but i don't think there's anything wrong with saying that per se like i don't think that that's that's a unhealthy form of discourse right um sure but that was reacted to with a lot of people like so so and we'll get to this in a second but the um the couple of coalition people saying silly stuff um far sillier than saying that somebody who is morally culpable for contributing to a problem is a bad person for having contributed to it right so it's like, so like when jordan Steele said that he wasn't betraying any scientific outcomes right like he like he wasn't saying anything non-scientific he was simply saying for contributing to this problem you're you're this bad a person or this bad a group of people um so it wasn't it wasn't like sort of anti-scientific but then um you know barnaby joyce said the other day that the sun's magnetic field was causing bushfires yes now that is not even really a moral claim, right? Like he's not, like he's not, <laughs> like he's not saying something mean. Um, he's saying something astonishingly unscientific. Um, like that's like, you know, uh, I, I feel, that feels like something from two thousand and nine. You know, when climate denial was at its absolute maximum, and this stuff was just across all media outlets. Like that's yep. just a really sort of um, classical old school climate denier blog sort of like andrew bolt kind of thing to say right absolutely um, but in yeah. his defense he has <laughs> had a lot to deal with since 2009 so <laughs> yeah. uh, but you're you're 100 right and the and, and it's it's odd because they can't get their their messaging in order right whereas the greens mm. messaging is is very clear if aggressive and yeah. you know i think clearly not not many of us will, would disagree that um, if you're taking the the time to separate um, ignorance from malfeasance, right, as far yeah. as um, the intentions of selling coal goes or selling yeah. gas goes, uh, that it doesn't really matter. E- either way, you sh- your hand should not be on the wheel, right? So, yeah. so I think as far as we're concerned, we we wouldn't really split that hair because in the end, it, it results in the same coal being burnt. Yeah, um, but the s- nationals can't get their ducks in a line on this. Right, like we've had um, McCormick um, kind of circle around the issue, <laughs> but then again, 
gone way off the track right at the end, right? So he, so he's he's on record um, recently saying, you know, we know that it's getting drier. We know that it's getting uh, situations in parts are getting very warm, which is <laughs> you, you're right. You and you're getting very warm there, McCormick. But but then continues on to say, you know. Uh, that the climate protests in Melbourne are getting way too much publicity. They crave that. Yeah. They yearn that. These people are in his city raving lunatics. And, of course, we just cut that right down to the very last sentence, which mm. in in context, it's easier to see what he's, what he's talking about. It doesn't make it any better, though, I don't yeah. think. So, so the, the tactic there is really just to sort of um, recast. So, so something that's happened in the past five years, and it's actually really surprised me. I've been pretty pleasantly surprised by this. Is a really significant increase in broad public concern about climate change. Yes. Um, and it's very, uh, it's very, very different to anything that's happened before because it's not just more people accept the climate science or more people like are vaguely sort of saying like, ah, oh, yeah, it would be nice to get something done. It's actually um, starting to shoot up lists of day-to-day concerns right like so it's it's stuff that people normally you get answers like pay my mortgage or like you know having enough time to do things or managing finances um and climate change is starting to end up at the top of those lists yeah uh, i mean you saw we saw in the like last decade um certainly a lot of people got out and protested the iraq war yeah um but it's a, it wasn't something that would immediately go to the top of somebody's existential concerns. Yeah. They and, just and see it so, as a moral wrong. Well, you know, in September uh, this year, there was the global climate strike event. And that, w- that was just yes. incredibly massive. There were millions of people around the world. Australia in particular uh, had a lot of people. And it was Australia was um, disproportionately uh, represented in terms of how many people attended. Um, which is nice, right? Like, it's not that's not something that often happens in Australia. Is like no. a lot of people, huge, huge, huge quantities of people caring about a really important thing and actually getting out on the streets and saying, "I, I care about this. Please do something." So, yeah. what you're seeing from Michael McCormack is an attempt to kind of push back against the broadness of concern, and he wants to be like, "No, no, no. Uh, the people who care about this are." you know, gluing themselves to roads and doing all this extreme stuff that you just couldn't possibly imagine doing because you're an average person. Um, And it's not really um, that his messaging isn't really playing out because, you know, within an hour of him saying that, there's like, um, not now, within a couple of days of him saying that, there's like a whole bunch of fire chiefs saying precisely what the same people, you know, using strong language in parliament or gluing themselves to roads, they're all saying the same thing, right? Which is basically, um, we're contributing to this problem. A, we should stop contributing and B, we should try and um, influence the rest of the world to stop contributing as well. Um, so it, it's, um, he, so like that, that style of talking, of trying to um, frame climate action as like this extremist sort of uh, rude, uh, activisty kind of thing um, has really lost a lot of its power. Like it sort of worked, you know, back in like a decade ago, um, but it's not. It doesn't really work now because uh, the whole situation has changed. A lot, uh, yeah. far more people care about it. 
So McCormack is kind of doing what he's just kind of seen other people do. And he's like, ah, oh, crap, okay, I, better, I better just say the stuff that we've been saying for ages and maybe that'll work. And this time it hasn't. No. Um, and, I mean, I think it's worth um, worth noting that I'm sure plenty of people would like to just, I guess, dismiss anybody further than 50 kilometres from the coast as a mm. redneck or what have you. But the, the fact of the matter is that there are a number of um, very, you know, hardworking, uh, clever farmers um, and hunters and, and shooters and, and all, all those sorts of things. And mm. um, they are... Con- rightly concerned, right? So the constituency, his his constituency, and the worry within it is changing. I think in the last, yeah. especially in the last couple of years, and like you were saying, you know, we suddenly you've got people going to these protests, and suddenly people know people that have been to these protests, and they're you know people that they are friends with or know and respect, and mm. it kind of takes i think a bit of the stigma out of out of doing that as well yeah. out of out of talking on and taking a position on it there's there's a bunch of funny funny as in peculiar data around um australian views on um the urgency of climate action and one one that really strikes me is um the, the there used to be a small difference between country slash rural areas and city areas in terms of um accepting the science and, and wanting and wanting change like there was a slight slightly lower um sort of need uh, sort of belief in in climate action from rural um and country areas in the past that has kind of disappeared right so now they're pretty much the same thing like you, you take a random person from a city and you take a random person from the country they'll both probably tell you the same thing mm-hmm. what has increased is the divide between people older than 50 and people younger than 30. Um, so that difference actually used to be smaller. Um, there used to be a much, um, this sort of, the, the distribution used to be narrower. Uh, now older people are more firm in their rejection of climate action and younger people have become significantly more passionate about urging climate action. So that's a funny statistic, right? Because yeah, you, that's super interesting. <laughs> um, because you expect people in country rural areas to be older, um, but the thing you have to remember there is that not all not all old and young people are distributed evenly across all areas. So um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I won't go any more into it because it's because it's kind of mind bending. But um, what what it means is that. Um, the if if there's going to be any kind of like warfare it shouldn't be between um city and country it should actually be between old and young because that that there is actually a real um and measurable difference that is getting bigger between generations on this issue yeah and and when we kind of talk about i mean i I hate to bring it up but we've got the kind of okay boomer sort of deal going going on and i think it goes way beyond boomers right to the to the um the quiet generation, that kind of thing, where yeah. um, the the distrust between generationals is uh, between generations mm. is possibly hardening because the policy positions are hardening. the poli- The policy difference and the belief difference is, like you say, is it's really it's really separating. Um, you know, at, at a certain age age bracket. Yeah. And suddenly we're seeing people that, that feel kind of betrayed by their parents and their grandparents and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, you end up with this kind of 
battleground uh, around age, which is um, starting to break out. Mm. I, I'm, um, a, I'm, an, I'm an older millennial uh-huh. um, and I have a kid. And like, I, I think, you know, um, she, she will be pretty right to hold me responsible for um, millennial sort of inaction, right? Like, we, like obviously millennials kind of um, care a lot about this issue and we've kind of been mad about it for, for a long time. Um, but the quantity of action really differs greatly compared to um, the, what's after millennials? Gen Z, is it? Kids these yeah. days, yeah, um, they're they're um they're they're incredible. Like they they are not just mad. They're they're very active. They're doing a lot of things. Um, whereas like we millennials as a generation, we were mad, but we didn't do a whole lot. Um, yeah. And so um, you know, kids kids are actually t- making sacrifices and and um, uh, sacrificing their education and their time and you know, for some of them, their public profile, you know, in an age where everything is kind of stored permanently, um, they're making these really sort of huge decisions about how to live their lives as climate activists. Um, and so they're going to look at millennials and be like, well, what the hell did you guys do? And I'll be like, well, I tweeted a lot. Uh, (laughs) I wrote some stuff occasionally, but not much else and yeah my kid my kid will be like what the hell that's ridiculous yeah but i mean i think also tweeting is one of the bravest things that you could do it it is you know that's why i'm spending eight hours a day doing it um (laughs) so but that's so we've talked about then um the nationals who are just um bizarre and shooting uh everywhere um we uh so Barnaby Joyce, um, sorry, I think I, we m- forgot to mention this. Um, there's a quote going around at Barnaby's that says basically that uh, two of the people that died in the fire, this, we're talking about this this one um, one instance in northern central New South Wales, and, you know, the quote goes that, well, they were Greens voters. And that yeah. one's being passed around kind of sight unseen a lot. I think it's worthwhile reading the whole thing yeah. uh, because he's clearly trying to not make that political and I yeah. will give him <laughs> that much from that from that quote. So I thought I should just kind of read that out because it's it, you don't tend to see the whole thing. Uh, he says that, I acknowledge the two people who died were most likely people who voted for the Green Party, so I'm not going to start attacking them. That's the last thing that I want to do. Uh, what I wanted to do is concentrate on the policies. We can mitigate these tragedies happening again in the future. I'm not quite sure what exactly he means as far as um, our policies and mitigations. Uh, this is a man that said that climate change is uh, barking mad uh, yeah. and that global warming is better than the next ice age. But what has come out from uh, the Australian, from the right-wing media, I think, uh, is that it's actually all the Greens' fault. Yeah. <laughs> which is cool to know. Yeah, that was a that was a sort of meme that uh, uh, emerged. I actually think um, quite some time ago, like sort of around twenty twelve or twenty thirteen, when there were um, some sort of uh, around the time of the bushfires around then as well. Um, and the and the meme basically goes that Greens have opposed um, this activity called hazard reduction. So that's when you um, not not during a bushfire. Um, but before bushfire season, you kind of look at where all the fuel loads are, which is just the stuff that burns during a bushfire. And you go, okay, I want to remove that. So you can either remove it by burning it off, 
uh, or you can mechanically remove it. So you, you yeah, you just you know tear it down, um, get rid of it, mm-hmm. get rid of all those fuel loads. Um, there there are problems with hazard reduction because um, uh, it creates smoke and it reduces air quality, um, and there are health impacts related to air quality reduction. So um, what that means is the authorities looking after hazard reduction have to balance those two factors, right? Like one is like, okay, well, we'll pay a small price when we do the do, do the hazard reduction burning, but maybe it'll have a um, better impact when bushfire happens and the bushfire doesn't go as far. And that also has, that has a much greater um, impact of protecting human health. So um, it's not a simple... It's not a simple issue, but what is extremely clear and very simple is that the Greens uh, did not stop hazard reduction from happening at all. It's been um, pretty much proceeding. I found some data from the New South Wales Rural Fire Service in their annual report. It's it's directly on their front page. It's extremely easy to find. Um, and it just shows that, like, you know, since... Um, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it goes back to 2007 or something like that, but it just shows pretty much the same amount. There's been a slight increase in the rate of hazard reduction. Um, they measure it in hectares, um, and it has increased slightly after 2014, I think, um, probably around the time that the original thing came out about the Greens are trying to stop hazard reduction. So the interesting thing about this whole thing for me, right, was when it came out and it was a really clear case study of how when somebody just says something that is entirely the product of their imagination, uh, it is treated as if it is a political claim that you cannot possibly verify or not verify. Um, now, what happens is eventually a fact check or something like that will come out, right? Like four or five days after the thing has been back and forth throughout mm-hmm. a bunch of different media outlets. Um, it took me. It took me like probably about... 13 seconds to find the historical <laughs> data of, of um, hazard reduction quantity in hectares going back a decade and a half. So, so it's not like, it's not like, you know, like you sort of hear this thing of like, Oh no, no, no. We like there, there aren't resources to be able to fact check, check, check that sort of thing in such a short period of time. But why, why are there the resources to get a person who said a lie, a platform, so quickly if do, yeah. do you see what i'm saying like it's like yeah, yeah no, absolutely. You, you're dedicating all this effort to distributing something that a man just like was just emitted from their mind like it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't <Yeah>. like then <laughs> and, and they're dedicating real resources to that right like it's um a lot of time and effort goes into when barnaby joyce says um the sun's magnetic field is controlling bushfires a huge amount of time and effort goes into making sure that a huge number of people hear those words. Yes. So um, why not like take some of that and put it into uh, first verifying, like I, I, I'm being extremely general here. There are some reports of those. So those two things like the magnetic field thing and the, and the um, hazard reduction thing, that did very quickly try and assess the veracity of the claim, um, but it wasn't the dominant mode, right? Like, you, like if you just pick 
five or six random reports, you'll have one person saying the green stop has a reduction. You'll have another person saying the government contributes to climate change by not reducing emissions. And they're both mm-hmm. kind of treated as like um, equally potentially true. Absolutely. Um, and there's a real kind of, um, there's a, a, a mechanic around how it's, how it is actually reported in that one article as well, mm. where, you know, clearly over the last few years, we've developed um, techniques to, maximize the amount of clicks on an article, right? I know it's very Mm. kind of trite and minimalizing a lot of facts there, but to just get a a click-through rate on Twitter or on Facebook or what have you, it's much easier to to just write that thing that was said uh, and then wait further down it's the um, reputation of it, you know, it's the... um, Well, he said this, but that's not actually true. These These are the facts... Yeah. Uh, whereas, really, in a in a just world, as far as like, um, and, and feel free to disagree with me here, but yeah. as far as communication goes, the thing that should be in the uh, in the headline should include the actual the actual fact of what it is, the actual yeah. kind of uh, you know uh, sun sunspots or sun flares uh, contribute um, a very small <laughs> uh, you know percentage of of global climate change versus our CO2 and methane uh, and so on emissions. Um, but here's what, you know, Barnaby said or, or, or what have you. But there's there's also that, that kind of concept around like what you were saying where it takes far more energy to, um, to disprove a lie than it is to just yeah. say it. And by the time so, you've, you've disproved that, the person that said it has just, they're a mile <laughs> down the track. They don't give a shit. Yeah. They're gone. So you're absolutely right. So, so th- this is actually a really um, extremely important thing that a lot of people get wrong because even when they have the good intentions um, and they want to debunk something that is just doing the right, doing the rounds and, and sort of misinforming a lot of people, what they'll do is when they publish their thing, they'll, you know, you've got a, the text of a tweet or the headline in an article, um, it mentions the myth first and then it says, okay, yes. I'm going to explain why it's wrong. And then it, there's mm-hmm. this, like massive explanation of why it's wrong. Um, you, you should always lead with the verified fact, right? Like, so the headline yes. in the Barnaby Joyce thing should be, uh, as you said, you know, um, the main cause of bushfires are X, Y, and Z. Sunspots are a smaller cause, uh, but, you know, not enough to drive the change. Barnaby Joyce said it and he's wrong. Like, it's a, it's a, a very, it's, there's a little bit of an underestimation of, of the significance of the order in which you put things. Um mm-hmm. The with articles, it's sort of like this rapidly declining curve in terms of like the impact and how people remember it. Headline is crazy important. People really remember the headline um, and the first few paragraphs. But then, you know, you sort of get to the end and um, uh, only the most dedicated of readers <laughs> right, make it right down to the end. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's a really it's a really tricky thing. And, and I think the other thing to mention is... Um, when it comes to uh, this whole debate around like the role of facts and evidence in the news, um, I think what is happening here is people are overestimating the muddledness of facts to some degree. Um, so I'll give you an example. So um, earlier this year, um, there was uh, an update from Australia's emissions data and uh, it's going up. Uh, a lot <laughs> like it's just often every it's the same story every time there's a there's an emissions data thing it's like yeah, it's going up 
But what happens is... We're going to make our Paris Accord, though. We, we did <laughs> yeah. the trading thing, yeah, and it's fine, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, we, we are horribly missing. If you sort of break those targets down into quarterly chunks, we're missing every single one as well. It's not... It's horrible. Anyway. Well, that sounds bad. We yeah, said it was good. <laughs> what happened? So, 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 what happened earlier this year is the um, energy and emissions reductions minister tries to frame it as something good. And it's pretty hard to frame increasing emissions as something good. So what he did last time, and it changes every time, it's always like this exciting thing. I think there's one at the end of this month. I'm already starting to get excited about it. Um, what, he's gonna, what he did last time was um, he said, okay, Australia's emissions are going up because we're digging a lot of gas out of the ground. And the process of digging gas out of the ground causes this leakage of emissions. And that's why it's going up, right? So we are increasing emissions in Australia because of the process of extracting fossil fuels, which are then later burned in another country, which, <laughs> which, which produces even more emissions. Which I making the point that he wants to make, really. Yeah. So it's the emissions from emissions extraction, which is just like so heartbreaking. <laughs> oh, um, it's, it's, it's a bad story, right? But what he said is he's like, look, Australia is selling its gas to countries and gas burns at half the rate uh of emissions than, than coal does. So if you if you sell all of our gas, if you use all of our gas and you use it to replace all of the dirty coal, then emissions go down by half. Uh, and so that became the line when that, that report came out. Great, Australia is selling this emissions reductions technology to the world. Um, it's only true if Australia is selling its gas to countries where they only burn coal and all that gas does is it only displaces coal. But sometimes gas displaces nuclear or hydro or wind and solar or yep, um, we just various stack other- it on top. <laughs> yeah. And, and Japan is Australia's biggest customer for gas. Um, Japan, it, from within Japan, Australia is their biggest supplier. Um, and coal, gas and oil emissions are rising, all rising in Japan. Um, so, and, you know, part of that is because... Um, the Fukushima uh, disaster inspired um, a very rapid shutdown of nuclear across Japan. Um, the other mm-hmm. reason is their wind and solar are going are growing, but extremely slowly. Um, and so the consequence is that it's just increasing emissions, right? Like it's just the whole thing is increasing emissions. Yeah. Um, now that's not m- muddy. That's not complicated. It's not um, mysterious. Uh, it's a really straightforward thing, right? Like, I just read Angus Taylor's press release and I was like, that's not a, um, it's not one of those things where you kind of read it and you're like, well, it's pretty complicated analysis. So who can really say, you know, maybe we'll talk to some experts and they'll say, well, his argument isn't really strong, but we can't really say either way. It is not that. It's just a totally- number goes up. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, it, I, and it just like, I can't, I can't emotionally process the way people treat this, right? Like in, in when Angus Taylor does a press release and a bunch of media outlets will sort of quite credulously report it because they sort of have this like ideological leaning to agree with it. Like that's okay. It's not okay. That's terrible, but that's predictable. You can see them doing that um, and they're not going to do anything else. But there are other like journalists and media outlets who look at Angus Taylor's press release and they're like, it's my duty to present this um, without prodding it, without 
testing its claims and you would only it, it would only be like half a millisecond of prodding and the whole thing falls apart and you're like yep. oh you have just released a verifiable lie to all of Australia's media outlets. Um, but they're not in the ideological business of, of actually doing that, right? Like, the, we've, yeah. we've joked about <laughs> it a lot um, that, you know, the, for, for many, many places that you, you can't really see an editing process going on between a press release from the government and actually yeah. <laughs> being printed in a Murdoch press newspaper. Yeah. Uh, and it's, again, that sort of sounds very simplistic to kind of say, but at the end of the day, that's effectively what's what's occurring, you know, much of the time. Yeah. So, so to bring it back to the bushfire thing, um, you know, this, hap- this happened with a few um, media outlets and journalists that are not, like, tacitly right-wing, um, but nevertheless looked at, the, looked at what happened from this week and said, there has been terrible behaviour on both sides. Like, Barnaby Joyce said this crazy stuff and then the Greens said this crazy stuff. And no one came out looking good because it was all unedifying and it was all basically equally bad at misrepresenting science. Um, An ABC journalist, Lee Sales, specifically mentioned science, right? Like she says um, in her, I'm paraphrasing here, um, but it was something along the lines of like, both sides are over-egging the science yeah it says uh so this is this is in reference to an article that um philip corey wrote uh which was so boring and didn't really make a point that i fell asleep halfway through reading it but of course um wouldn't be australian journalism if they weren't all just encircled to pat each other on the back in one long chain uh she says corey nails it with common sense the extremes at both ends of the climate wars over egg their cases and show why this issue is so vexed in australia and really only i think somebody completely concerned with hearing both sides and being you know quote unquote objective um more so than actually looking at the numbers and looking at what we're staring down the barrel of, mm. you know, climate-wise and, and the consequences, that's really the, the kind of person that we would take to to say that. Um, yeah. And I think it drove a lot of people nuts. It really, it really yeah. annoyed me. Um, it was a real, a real rock in my shoe to, to read, uh, to read this. Um, and it I know it annoyed you. Yeah, yeah it, we had a, we had a specific point on our on our notes here uh, <laughs> that just says centrism. So I guess this is, this is that. <laughs> so so um, a couple of days ago, the International Energy Agency released this thing called their World Energy Outlook, and what it does is it it looks at a bunch of different scenarios in the future, um, and and it's actually gotten a lot better. It, it, there was a lot of people in the climate science community had a lot of gripes with the way that they did their reporting, but it's kind of improving gradually and what they've done this year is they've released two uh, i'm massively oversimplifying but um they've got two different scenarios that they look at one nothing happens it's all the policies that exist right now no one creates any new policies um it takes into account the paris climate pledges and things like that and it's just got a straight line of emissions going up in the future and they have this alternative scenario where they're like okay um, we want to keep global warming down to a particular level, right? Um, it's arbitrary, but it's it's a rough guide of like, if we kind of want to resolve this as best as we can and stop the absolute worst from happening, this is what we need to do. And it's just a line going down, right? So emissions go down. Um, how do you get emissions to go down? They've got a list of about 
20 different things um, and they're all pretty much stuff that um, you and your listeners would have heard before. Um, uh, renewable energy, um, uh, demand reductions. Uh, I, I won't go through them all, but there's, there's quite a lot. And one thing that they really make clear is that it's not so much about the technologies, the policies or the choices or whether it's spread between individuals or corporations or governments. It's about the rate of change. So this stuff needs to happen very, very quickly and broadly. Um, it is the rate of change that centrists seem to be weird about. Yeah. What they, what they really don't like is urgency or emergency. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, there was a piece by um, Waleed Ali that also kind of annoyed me a little bit um, a few months ago. <laughs> um, and he, um, uh, he talks about how framing the situation as an emergency is not diplomatic. Um, and it's a bad way to get consensus from the community. Um, and, I, and I think it's kind of the opposite. I think that people understand emergency and the need for rapid action far yeah. more than they better uh, far more than they understand a 700 page ipcc report published in 2005 right like it's a very different you know the pleas that you sort of heard in 2005 which were like this is kind of starting to happen now so let's come together and come up with a policy around the world and like it's very different to the language you hear now which is like we are properly running out of time yeah. And I don't like that phrase because, you know, you never really it, sort of run out of time on this. Yeah. It's just Yeah, that, that's right. You don't, you don't, you don't want to black pill people into yeah. kind of going, well, <laughs> well, you know, the, the accelerationist argument to say, well, look, yeah. there's nothing we can do, so we may as well have fun while we're here. It's like, yeah. no, there's like there, there are things you can do to change yeah. how bad this is this is going to be, but you have to do them now, right? Like yeah. the, the concept that we need to do a gradual kind of reduction, that's all, that's all well and good. In mm. 1980, yeah. right? Like, like that time. That time has passed. The the comparison that we um, should be making now is that of a total war economy, yeah. right? Where we alter our economies uh, worldwide to fight a common enemy, uh, and you know, you model after what we did in in the world wars right where where the existing infrastructure is re is is altered and changed to to be uh towards a particular purpose and away from this from this other thing and that's the only way that we're that we're yeah. going to get there and that's renewable energy uh that is carbon capture that is every single thing that we can throw at it any any amount of of egging to yeah. take lee's language here is under egging any amount yeah. that we can do is is not is not enough. There's no right? there's so, no there's no quantity of eggs that could ever. No, yeah, that, I know what you mean. That's exactly right, and and we but we're still chewing around the edges yeah. of this, like it's a new and novel idea, but it isn't. It's it's not. We've known for so long. Yeah, and any uh, to see the the media just kind of put one foot in front of the other and behave as they did five years ago or 10 years ago with some exceptions you know yeah. um we uh, you know we've seen i guess the guardian take at least a um mild stance to say look we are uh we're not in the business of both sidesism uh mm. we are just we're just reporting the facts right um yeah. which is which is 
nice to see, but I don't, not necessarily enough. And we can't, I think you alluded to it slightly earlier on about the ABC. Well, they have to be overly cautious, right? Yeah. Um, and divide the issue right down the middle I, where, you know, yeah, it's totally. I find the ABC up. really fascinating on this because they, they, um, uh, I've been reading these articles on when they report on stuff like disasters, you know, bushfires, droughts, um, flooding, that sort of thing. Um, in the past week, they actually have had a lot of coverage on on the role of climate uh, change in in the uh, frequency of bushfires. But just going back a few months, like they would do these articles where the whole article was about the role of climate change in a in a in a particular disaster, but they never ever mention the words. So hmm. you have this really astonishing thing where, like, they're interviewing people from the Bureau of Meteorology. And those people that they're being interviewed are just like, well, the climate has changed in this particular way over these particular years. Um, uh-huh. And this is the impact on, on human life. And, and they're very, very strongly alluding to it. But they just don't say human behavior from the burning of fossil fuels has caused this. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you could, I'm just reading it and I'm like, this is somebody who wanted to write an article about climate change. <laughs> But somewhere along the way, whether it was from like pressure, like an unspoken pressure, or someone literally walked up to their article and said, with a red pen, get rid of all these mentions of climate change, um, something, there is some force at play that is reducing their ability to talk about the science of this. So I've had, I would really love to write um, a, a book or like do like a series on the role of like the way the media reports on climate change, because that story will never be told by journalists, right? Like um, even, even the sort of parts of journalism that are dedicated to, you know, watching media, like media watch, um, they're not gonna, they're never going to have the the space or the time to tell the story of um, how the media has grappled with the science of climate change. Um, so yeah, I don't know. One day, I just I really want to I really want to write or talk or do something about this because it's just um, uh, and I, and like you know there's um Australia in particular has its own unique um I guess like spread of um just because Australia has such a weirdly concentrated media environment um it has its own particular stance on climate change um and it's really yeah it's pretty interesting. One day. I'll get to it. <laughs> so to bring it so bring it all around though. Yeah. What would you what would you like to see? How would you like to see this issue communicated? Hmm. Um, What's so, the right thing? Yeah. Um, so just on that same thing that I mentioned before about how the language used to talk about climate change has itself sort of changed over the past few years. Um, urgency and collective action kind of go nicely together. Um, So something that really sticks in my mind has been the climate strike movement um, from, from uh, this year, Um, because it's something that happens on a very large scale and scale is extremely important when it comes to either individual lifestyle changes to address emission, rising emissions or putting pressure on governments and corporations to change what they do to stop the extraction and burning of fossil fuels. Um, There is a sort of like additive quality to it 
that um, is really very different to everything that's happened before. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example um, of this sort of phenomenon in emissions reductions. Um, there was a study that came out uh, a few years ago about the way solar power spreads across a suburb. So one person puts it on their rooftop. Great. That's, you know, X quantity of emissions reductions, but their neighbors walk past and they see it and they talk to their neighbor and the neighbor's like, I paid 10 bucks on my electricity bill this year. Um, and so yeah, like, I, it's oh been God, a real like too. social kind <laughs> of, you, you're hundred percent like I've, mm. I've actually seen this and yeah. uh, it, it started off as this little, as this little seed of, um, you know, we, we saw a couple of companies where they took on the, took on the electricity bill and they mm. said, well, look, we'll, we'll just, we'll, make it all balance out right with the because we'll be generating electricity but uh you know you'll be paying us through this mechanism um and this idea has kind of spread spread socially once it reached a particular scale right once it hit that little tipping point of people having heard of it yeah so so that is a powerful message so so with everything um not Talking not just about the fact that something is being done, but that it's being done together is something that really has quite an impact these days. It wasn't so much the case like about a decade ago. Like you sort of um, talked about stuff and it, and it, and it really, um, uh, it was always, it was, it was quite a lot about technology and policy. It was always like, oh, there's a new type of solar panel or there's this cool new policy that uh, is going to reduce emissions in this particular way. Um these days, the really powerful messages tend to come from a hundred thousand people believe the same thing you believe, and they were so pissed off about it that they walked out onto the street and did something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just you yelling at this fossil fuel corporation. There's many, many hundreds of thousands of people doing the same thing. Um, that is something that I think has a lot of potential to lead to um, systemic changes in, in government and um, corporations but also um, smaller scale lifestyle changes, which I'm always nervous to talk about because um, it does take away a lot of the focus from um, big companies and, they, and the companies in particular like to say to people, here's 10 ways you can reduce emissions in your, in your you know, lifestyle when, you know, like even if you never drove a car for the rest of your life, that's like 10 seconds worth of the amount of time that they spend extracting fossil fuels in terms of emissions. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you need one, one, one person by themselves as well. Is, is very difficult to affect change. And I think you, you're 100% right that you really you need to start with the scale first and then yeah. work to personal choices and that sort of sort of thing. It's all well and good for Coca-Cola to say, well, look, we'd love you for you to recycle all of your bottles. <laughs> yeah. The better thing would, that, would be for them to not be making single-use yeah. plastic in the exactly. first place, right? Yeah. And you apply that, that logic to to yeah. climate change and especially you know we we saw results out of the uh, and we, we don't have time to get into this whole mm. oh my god the the ets being being destroyed <laughs> and oh dear yeah. me but the the climate the the um carbon pricing right is a mm. is an example of a mechanism where we saw a, a thing at scale filtered down to actual personal lifestyle changes right where the yeah. the price of things changes based on um what's uh, the externalities actually being priced and then suddenly people have to factor that into their day-to-day decisions but it's too hard to think about that by yeah. yourself um, you know, as it is, life life is hard enough as it is, and that's why we need real policy and real ch- real change. Yeah. So, well, exactly right. Like that's the interaction between policy and personality. So, so uh, to give you another good example, 
um, Australia's national electricity market, which is the southeast sort of coast states, um, everything except Western Australia and NT, uh, has gone from about 10% um, zero carbon energy, which was mostly hydro back in, um, you know, sort of pre-2010. Um, in the space of about a decade, it's gone to about 20%, right? So, um, uh, well, that's kind of a prediction. I think by the end of, by the end of 2020, the year 2020, um, it will be about 20 to 23% renewables, right? Um, so that's including hydro. Um, now that growth, like basically the decarbonization of a 10th of that entire electricity grid, uh, was subsidized by everybody. So every single person who pays an electricity bill paid a tiny little fraction into the scheme that resulted in the construction of a huge quantity of solar panels and wind turbines that are all displacing coal. There are molecules of greenhouse gases that are not being released into the atmosphere for every single five minute interval on that national electricity market because those people paid that money. Um, and if everybody had said, I hate this thing, I'm not going to pay that money, um, then it wouldn't have happened. So it is like this massive collective action. And, you know, obviously it was forced because it was a government, it was a federal government policy. Um, but everybody was cool with it, right? Like that was a year in which the renewable energy target, uh, that was a decade in which the renewable energy target was just happily welcomed by everybody. And it remained popular for the entire length of its existence as a policy and it worked like it, it, it is going to exceed its target by a very large quantity. Um, the liberal government cut it in 2015. So um, it's actually going to exceed its original target before it was cut. But of course the amount by which it exceeds, it would be higher if it hadn't been cut. Yeah. Um, yep. So that did have some impact, unfortunately, but it is still like a pretty damn big change um, to the entire like machine that is the electricity market that was funded by everybody. Um, and they all kind of did that, right? Like it, it, it was a real sort of, everybody was involved. Every single person who paid an electricity bill was involved. Um, and that is a really like, that's just a great thing that happened. Um, I know that's a weirdly simplistic way of putting it. No, I know. I, you have to, but you have to believe that, <laughs> that great things can happen through collective action, right? Because otherwise, what else is there? Yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of just don't know about it. Like they kind of, like it happens in the background and someone will read an article about, oh, you know, renewable energy hit like a 50% maximum in the grid, um, which is great, which is, that's really good. But it happened because of a lot of help from all Australian citizens who pay electricity bills. Um, so, you know, if people, are, if people are feeling like, oh, geez, you know, like, I hate that this stuff is happening um, and I hate not helping. Well, you're already helping to some degree. You can, you can help more if you want to, if you have the capability to do so. But you shouldn't feel like dejected um, because there's already, there's already collective ac action happening. People are already involved and they're living normal lives. It's not like they're sacrificing their entire lives and living terrible, having terrible experiences day to day. Um, it, yeah. So it's just, no, it is possible. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's, uh, something that like, 
the renewable energy target isn't just we built X number of wind turbines and solar panels and now they're just going to generate electricity. They actually had an impact on the economics of those machines as well. Mm-hmm. So they've obviously, they've gone down in price massively, way more than anybody expected globally um, and in Australia in particular for solar. Um, and so that help that was given from Australian citizens will continue to help even though it's not like a direct payment anymore because there's like this embedded phenomenon where wind and solar are now the cheapest things that you can build. It does, if you, Even if you don't give a crap about emissions, those are the cheapest technologies that you build to generate electricity. Um, so that emissions reductions is going to, is going to keep happening because it's just cheaper to be cleaner um, than it is to be building a dirty coal-fired power station. And that's why the government is focusing on trying to intervene in the market and say, well, we're going to help people build coal-fired power stations because they need to now because no one will yeah, do it for, by default. For, for entirely <laughs> ideological reasons. Exactly. Which is absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's like they're going out of their way to do the wrongest thing yeah. that they could possibly. but yes, at the highest cost. <laughs> yes, but through, yeah. you know, our continued action and pressure on the government and especially, yeah. I guess, not uh, not saying now is the time, you know, we can I continue to press the issue and, and press the importance um, of this to us as citizens, I think. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sunk cost already in this project. Um, mm-hmm. And keeping it, keeping the ball rolling is really important. And so I think if people really want to, um, sunk cost is not the right words. It's, it's momentum. Like it's, it's, there's actually, there's a surprising sort of movement building across the world and um, it's having impacts that I don't think anybody expected the scale of. Like I, I it, you know, even I was a little bit like, um, I didn't quite see these changes happening. I, I sort of expected it all to go a bit slower um, and I, I remain like, um, I described it as infuriated optimism the other day, but it's like, you have to be, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you have to be like constantly angry about this. Um, but at the same time, um, it, it, it's actually really heartwarming and nice to see changes that happen. And it's of course very important to remember that a lot of the good things that happen come from sacrifice from people who often are in positions where they, you know, like they can't give up a lot. Um, you know, people in developing countries are often protesting their government when they're exposed to massive risk. Um, there are young people who are also exposed to massive risks from being active about this. But at the same time, what they do has a really big impact on politics as well. So, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Well, I think we will wrap that up there on the on a positive note. Um, it's been really lovely chatting to you, Katan. Um any plugs that you'd like to do for your uh, for all the projects that you've got going on? Yeah, um, follow me on Twitter. Um, I've just submitted a book manuscript um, with UNSW Press, um, and that's going to be probably coming out about uh, halfway through next year. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And um, over the next few months, I'm going to be doing a few little projects, but just keep your eyes peeled on my Twitter feed, and they'll be coming out there. So, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, and we'd love to have you back sometime. Awesome. Thanks for the chat. It was really fun. All right. Cheers, mate.